Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Welcome, Arizona Cardinals fans, to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com, the USA Today NFL Wire site. Uh, and we are in the middle of our opponent preview uh, series, where we will, where I will have an episode with the 14 different teams, NFL Wire. Well, ideally, we'll get them all. The managing editors or contributors from the NFL Wire. Um, and so, next up, so we, we haven't been numbering these episodes. It's going to be episode something, 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 something. But because I don't know which, which order I'm going to put these shows in. So I've said that in the other shows. But next up in our series is one of our NFC West rivals. And for, I think, the third straight year, maybe fourth, we have Tim Weaver on, uh, managing editor of SeahawksWire.com, um, and one of our divisional rivals. Tim, welcome to the show again. Uh, second year in a row um, talking about the Seahawks as opposed to, was it Panthers or Falcons before that? It was both. It was both, both Panthers both and Falcons. Falcons before that. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Tim. How have you been? Thanks. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So... Let's take a trip back to 2022. I will say that the Seahawks, to me, completely shocked the the NFL because with the trade of Walt Russell Wilson, the feeling was they were going to be awful. In the end, it was the Cardinals and the Rams who were awful, and the Seahawks made the playoffs. I, I, I will assume that last year exceeded by far any expectations that, that y'all had for the Seahawks last year. Absolutely. Like anyone who tells you that they had the Seahawks, like after the Russell Wilson trade, they said the Seahawks are going to make the playoffs. They're lying to you. Everyone and their mother had them. Five wins, six wins at most. Going to be worst team in the NFC. Going to be a long rebuilding process. We were talking about Malik Willis. That was going to be our savior. We need to get Malik Willis to rebuild around. Uh, so, no, nobody had any clue that it was they were going to do as well as they did this year. Um, Lewis Riddick was pretty high on them, and he's even higher on them now. But that's about the only – like, he wasn't saying, like, definitely playoffs or anything. But he was just saying, I like what they're building there. I like – he could see the start of a good thing happening before anyone else could. But I can't think of anyone else that really liked what this team was doing at this time last year. Pretty much universally, everyone thought this was going to be a really bad team. So they did surprise everybody. Well, and and – Basically, that was circled. That was that was based in the belief that Geno Smith was not going to be a, a a good starting quarterback. Which is interesting because I remember reading things that the belief in Geno Smith in that locker room 
was always there. It was uncanny for a guy who had not like he'd been in, he's been in the league forever, obviously, and and I remember the expectations for him coming out of college. Um, he just never. I mean, he didn't have a good situation there with the Jets, obviously, um, but he, he just didn't like. There were there were moments, but it never put it together. But it felt like the Seahawks in that building knew something that nobody else knew. Just how good, like from from someone watching him week after week, how good was Geno Smith last season? I think he was top 10, as in like exactly number 10 or number 9, if you want to go crazy with it. Um, It was really a tale of two seasons. Like no quarterback is great like throughout the year. They all go through different, you know, defenses change what they're doing, and then the quarterback has to change what he's doing. Nobody just kicks ass the whole season. He was amazing like the first six weeks or so. He was he would have been in the MVP conversation if he had kept that going. He was just he was accurate. He was aggressive and he really rode the line as well as you can between being aggressive and taking care of the ball. Like he just, that that's really the, the hard thing that I think like very talented quarterbacks go through. That was his big problem early in his career with the jets. Like he had a great arm and he was willing to chuck it, but like he just, he trusted his arm talent a little too much. And I think that happens a lot for young quarterbacks. Like I can fit this, like Jameis Winston is probably the best example. Like he can fit, into these tiny, tiny windows, 25 yards down the field with three guys around them. Like, just because you can do that doesn't mean that you should try to do that. You know what I mean? Uh, and that was Geno Smith's problem early um, in his career. And he just, he dialed it back just right. He was at a perfect level, like the first half of the season. Then it dived off and, and he admitted himself he got too aggressive. He, he was trying to push too hard in that direction. But that was around like week 10, week 11 or something, but he never really dialed it back. He kept going even after he had said that. Uh, I don't know what to account for that, like why he wasn't able to, uh, you know, follow his own advice and dial it back a little bit. But he did drop off a bit in the second half of the season. But like overall, I would still say he, he was roughly like 10th best, 11th best quarterback in the league. He finished with 30 touchdowns. Uh, I think like 11 interceptions, like those are very, you'll take those numbers. Most teams will be very happy with those numbers and the Seahawks were very happy to get them for sure. Absolutely. Um, what were other positives from last season and where were there, where were the negatives? Where were the problems last year? Where were their disappointments? So other, so basically what other highlights, what were the lowlights for last season? Well, the wide receivers are always good. Um, I feel like I talk about it all in, but, time but Tyler Lockett just what he does consistently he never drops passes he's always open uh, he just doesn't get the credit that he should he's one of these guys he just forms at a very high level consistently throughout his career hopefully when it's over he'll get the recognition he deserves but he's always up there Metcalf is always good obviously um, the run game was pretty good it wasn't great it wasn't Marshawn Lynch era but it, it was it was decent enough uh, to keep defenses from from being able to, you know, cheat against Smith. Um, the low lights were pretty much all defensively. Not like the offense didn't have problems. Uh, interior pass protection was a big problem in the second half of the season, especially. Uh, but mostly defensively. Um, run defense is the big thing. They had one stretch in the middle of the season where they were good. Like, they shut down Saquon Barkley, and they had, like, three more good weeks after that. But aside from that, it was terrible. Literally, if you took out that one stretch, it was the worst run defense in the league easily. Uh, it didn't matter like what front they tried. It didn't matter who they were playing. They were just awful against the run for most of the year. Um, and the pass rush, 
Um, I feel like there was only one or two games where they consistently got to the other quarterback. Like they would feast on bad offensive lines, but against everyone else, they were just totally helpless. They got no pressure. Uh, most games, I would say like just eyeballing it 12, 13 games out of the season they they were lucky to get one sack and like three quarterback hits. They're just, there wasn't enough consistent pressure going on. And that obviously makes it very tough to get off the field. So you had, I think they had at one point that they had the longest, uh, drive differential just they couldn't get off the field at all uh so they give up you wind up giving up a lot of points even though their secondary was really good uh, especially in the second half of the season but this, their front seven couldn't stop anybody they couldn't get pressure they couldn't stop the run and like those two things essentially broke their back if they had they figure out those two things like their ceiling's going to be pretty high but they were just they were just terrible in in both of those areas of the game last year Coming up next on the Rise Up Series podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Let's move to the offseason moves that, that the Seahawks made in free agency, gains and losses, and then moving to the NFL draft. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. We're back on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best of our Cardinals talk on the web. Still talking to Tim Weaver from Seahawks Wire, our sister site here in the NFL and in, in the NFC West and the NFL Wire site for USA Today in free agency. Um, let's, let's go to go rundown. Who were their impact losses and their impact gains? Obviously the biggest name that they added in the offseason, I believe would be Draymond Jones, um, formerly of, of Denver. And they made a run that they, they were unsuccessful at, but they made a run at Zach Allen, former Arizona Cardinals player who ended up signing with the Broncos. Um, but, but first who are players that, they lost that were go- that they're they're good that's going to impact them and then who were their impact gains i guess you can't really think of anybody that they lost and like oh they're really gonna miss him I like mean, that they wasn't- lost rashad petting but with kenneth walker in there the and, and yeah. penny's injuries were were always a problem but yeah i i know you lost rashad penny um but you have like you guys burn through running backs every two three years it seems anyway yeah, we picked another in the second round this year, I, and I like Zach Charbonnet. Like, I think it's ridiculous that they keep doing this, but it it they have a good running back room. They're always going to have a good running back room because they keep overstuffing the the draft there. But that's fine. Um, I would say the real losses were the defensive line. They did this on purpose. It wasn't like they, oh, we couldn't, oh, we couldn't sign Al Woods. The Jets made him too big of an offer, or we couldn't sign Javier. They just let everybody go. They intentionally turned the whole thing over. They said. These guys suck. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't get faster. <laughs> We're just going to throw out the whole board and start over again. I have mixed feelings about this. Now, they had to change something. I don't know what, whether it could have been a mix of scheme and personnel, but they decided to throw all the personnel out. So those are the, the really uh, significant personnel losses for all defensive line guys, and they turned it over. Uh, yeah, Draymond Jones was the big ticket item. Uh, very good underrated, kind of like Shelby Harris, like another underrated Denver guy. Uh, you know, not not like a perennial Pro Bowl or anything, but you can see where it's going. And they, they think they obviously give me the money they did. They think he's going to be a Pro Bowler someday. Uh, they also brought back Jaron Reed, who was a good starter for them a few years ago and continued to be when he was in Green Bay and Kansas City. Um, Bobby Wagner, that, that's obviously the most significant one as far as I'm concerned. Uh, not just mentally, like his leadership was clearly missing on the field last year uh but he filled the biggest hole that they had on the roster if you take bobby wagner out of this group it's probably the worst linebacker group in the league as far as i'm concerned you just you have nothing but question marks after him there's devin bush 
who's very young and very fast, but as of yet hasn't lived up to his first round status. There's Jordan Brooks, who uh, struggles in coverage, and he's coming off an ACL tear. Um, they also they let Cody Barton walk. They let Tanner Muse walk. Uh, so there's really not much depth there. And if Bobby Wagner gets hurt, they're going to be in trouble. But getting him back was a really, really key move for them. I think that was probably their best free agent move this year, for sure. Anybody else of note that will be at that should may not be an impact, but will be a, a solid contributor that they added in free agency. They really didn't. They never do much in free agency. And it drives me crazy. Cause like last year I was hoping maybe they'll get a Von Miller or they'll get a Chandler Jones. They never spend that big ticket item. Like Draymond Jones was, it was a lot of money. It wasn't a big name, but they spent a lot of money and that, that was against type for them very much. They never spend much in free agency. Um, you know, they, they really, they, I think, the most underrated thing, the guy who's going to fly under the radar is Julian Love. He's, I don't know exactly what position they're going to play him. He's listed as a safety, but they're talking about in the slot. Like he, he's one of these guys, he plays several different positions. And I don't know if they're going to do a lot of three safety sets or if he's just going to take Jamal Adams' place and they're going to put Jamal Adams closer to the line, which is probably a good idea. Um, but wherever they're going to put Julian Love, he's going to succeed. I think that's a really good underrated move that they did. Um, that's one of those that's going to pay off down the line that you didn't hear off hear about much. Let's move on to the draft where they had a, they they had a whole bunch of draft picks. What was it? Ten selections that they ended up having, including two in the first round. Um, they picked up Devon Witherspoon, Illinois, and perhaps some believe is the best receiver in the draft. Ohio State's Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, tell, tell us about what your, your thoughts are for those two first round selections. Yeah. I mean, I love the picks. Uh, it probably got the best wide receiver and the best cornerback. Those are two premium positions. Uh, you're really not in too much position to complain. I will complain a little bit because I was betting on Jalen Carter. Um, I just think he probably would have made a bigger impact than Witherspoon did. Um, there's some there's an analytics thing I saw the other day on Twitter. It was based on EPA, like the top ten defensive guys, like seven of them were these high end interior guys. It was like Javon Hargrave, uh, Fletcher Cox, uh, just like all, uh, Derek Brown, all the really the superstar interior defensive linemen. They were the most valuable defensive guys on the field. That made me think twice. Like, uh, they probably should have gotten Jalen Carter. That would have been the pick that I would have done. But I'm not upset about Devon Witherspoon at all. Like, I think he's going to be just fine. Um, he's probably the best cornerback in the class. It may take time for him to get there. But uh, definitely like those first two picks. And they got high grades for pretty much all their picks. Um, the second straight year now, they've gotten really good grades. Um, but, and that's a relief because they went 10 years. I don't know what happened between – 2013 and 2021 they completely forgot how to draft like they were clearly (laughs) they were miles ahead of everybody else early in like 2010 11 and 12 that's like those draft passes were fantastic and like i don't know if we're ever going to see a three-year run like that in the draft again um and then whether they thought like oh we're set now now we can get creative or we can get cute or just like reach for people because we've got all this talent now but for eight nine years they just they got nothing in the draft almost there's a like random hits here and there they got Lockett they got Frank Clark they got DK Metcalf but aside from those three there was like there was like a decade where they got no starters in the draft it was nuts and then all of a sudden last year they flipped the switch I'm like oh yes we remember what we're doing now like. <laughs> Let's just rebuild now. Like it's really so, funny how that. Happens. 
so Witherspoon, do you believe he will be plugged into the lineup immediately? And does he make a nice compliment to Tariq Woolen with what he did his rookie season? I have to think he does. Like you, you don't pick a guy number five overall and then put him on the bench. Like Pete Carroll loves to talk about Mike Jackson. Like he, he was decent enough last year. He was, I think like by the pro football focus grades, if you're going to go by that, he was pr- almost perfectly average as far as league wide. And that's fine. You're, you're happy with that, but you pick a guy number five, you're going to start him. Uh, maybe not week one, but you know, not long after that, he's going to, he's going to eventually replace Jackson in the lineup. I, it's just, it's crazy not to, but they, maybe they'll put him in the slot. They tried this uh, like the last day or last two days in OTAs. And I thought it may have just been there. They were counting for injuries there and just trying different things, but maybe the plan is to keep Jackson on the left side, put Bullen on the right side and then Witherspoon in the slot. That would be very interesting. Uh, but I don't know exactly where they're going to put him, but I, I would be very much surprised if he's not starting uh, if not week one, definitely by October. I think the addition of, of Smith and Jigma is fantastic because, it, and and this is coming, I'm going to write this later today, and this is uh, Tuesday afternoon, is I think he, with that addition, gives the Seahawks the absolute number one trio of receivers in the division. Where you got DK, you got Lockett, and you can Smith and Jigma. Uh, is, is he going to be like immediately their number three receiver probably no absolutely I, I would say probably top three receivers in the league like maybe cincinnati you could say but i don't think anybody else can compete with them uh, as far as top to bottom goes like it's not just that he yes he got the best receiver in draft but he's exactly what they needed like if they'd gotten a dk metcalf clone or a locket clone like that's good but like they needed something else there they need they got exactly what they needed they needed somebody who can work in the slot and he's not going to be exclusively in the spot, but that's where he does his best work. And he needs somebody who does yards after catch. So as great as Metcalf and Lockett are, that's not really what they do. Lockett, he's a he's a tiny guy, relatively speaking. He, you don't want him taking contact. I'm fine with him dropping on his knee and, you know, just move the chain. Don't worry about trying to grind out a few extra yards. And Metcalf, that's not really what he does either, but that's that, that's what Smith and Jigba does best, and that's what they're missing most of all. So I, I love that. That was my favorite pick, definitely. Um, I think it gives them the best one, two, three, and it's complementary. It all works. I think it, it's one of those force multipliers for the offense. You'll see he, he makes not just those two betters. He's going to make the entire passing offense better. He's going to make Geno Smith a better quarterback. Um, everything is going to fit together a little bit better because of him being there. The rest of the picks go um, pass rusher Derek Hall out of Auburn, Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. Love that pick, by the way. Love it. Uh, he's he's a guy I would have loved to see the Cardinals get. Uh, Anthony Bradford, guard out of LSU, de- defensive tackle Cameron Young out of Mississippi State. Uh, pass rusher Mike Morris, defensive end pass Mike Morris out of Michigan. Um, Ali Oluwatimi, center out of Michigan. Jarek Reed, safety out of New Mexico. And Kenny McIntosh, running back out of Georgia. Um, of that group, of the, the remaining guys, who, are, who will have roles this season and who are more project-slash-developmental guys for the future? Well, it's tough to say. Um... Derek Hall is just, he's in a very crowded situation. Like, Richard Nwosu was amazing last year, but the rest of the edge guys, nobody's proven. You have Daryl Taylor, you have Alton Robinson, you have William Maffe. 
Um, but nobody has really stepped up. So there's room there for him to step up, but I don't know. It, it may take a year or two for him to put together. It's kind of hard to project how that outside linebacker group is going to look outside of Luosu. Um, Charbonnet, I think you're going to see him. Um, it, it's nuts. Like Pete Carroll, like I don't understand it. And, you know, we know what the analytics say. You can agree with them or not, but clearly he, he's going to do his own thing. I think you're going to see him and not in a featured rusher role unless Walker gets injured, but you're, we're going to be surprised how much we see him, I think in 2023. Um, the rest my, my biggest X factor is the center old with Yeah. Um, they signed Evan Brown from Detroit and he's probably going to start early in the season, but like, I'm not very high on him and you bring a guy in, I get, Center is not an easy position to play. There's a lot that goes into that. It's not like playing nose tackle where you're just going to grab a guy or running back. It's a little bit easier for a rookie. It's a complicated position. It's not easy for rookies, but I'd really like to see Olatimi take over right away as soon as possible. You're not going to learn on the sideline. Like Some people can do that. I, I, My position has always been rookies don't learn on the sideline. You need to get them on the field. That's the only way they're really going to improve. Um, and that that was the the big weakness on offense. The interior pass protection was really broke down a lot in the second half of this season. You could see there's a photo of uh, Geno Smith looking at Austin Blythe, uh, who was their starting center last year, and he just he just looks exasperated. He's just like, "What are you doing, man? Like you're killing me out here." And I think that was a very good uh, little microcosm of how the second half of the season for them went offensively. So they can plug him in. Um, I don't know, like year one, it, who knows. Like that for every Peyton Manning, there's a Ryan Leaf. You never know how these guys are going to work out, especially <laughs> in the first season. Um, Absolutely. But it, if he comes in and he does well, like he was a very decorated center. He won lots of awards. He was one of the best centers in college. I was I was surprised they got him as late as they did. Um, I would I would feel very good if he's able to step in right away. He, he's like the X factor for that group, as far as I'm concerned. Coming up next on the Res FC Red Podcast, Mr. Cardinals talking about. Let's look ahead to the outlook for 2023. What do they expect? What can happen with the Seahawks this coming season? What that's coming to next in Rise Up Sea Red. We're back on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web, talking to Tim Weaver from SeahawksWire.com. Looking ahead to 2023, the Seahawks are coming off a 9-8 season. They made it to the playoffs. What are the what are the expectations for this team coming in this next season? When you have to be realistic, uh, you know, normally well, the first thing Pete Carroll would say is like, you want to win your division. Well, you're not going to win your division right now. You have a Super Bowl heavyweight contender there. They beat you three times last year pretty handily. You weren't close in any of those games. Uh, you just you have to be realistic about where you are compared to uh, powers in your division and in the conference. They're not ready to compete with the Niners. They're not ready to compete with the Eagles. But pretty much anyone else, I think, in that conference, you should at least be able to beat them. I'm not saying you beat everyone, but you you're, you shouldn't get blown out by anybody else. Uh, on paper, Dallas and Detroit are probably their closest rivals. Those are the two you see who are their win totals are just projected just a little bit higher than Seattle's. We're just a little higher, a little bit of homerism going on. I think they'll be better. But those are the two teams you need to get past. I think to get into that that sweet spot is the number three spot in the NFC. Um, but that's as realistic as anyone, because like the Eagles and Niners, they're just so much farther ahead of the rest of the conference right now. You know, like the number three spot is pretty much the ceiling for the rest of the conference. Um, if you can get your, I mean, seed wise, you're not going to get there because you have to get a wild card spot, right. but having the third best record in the conference, I think is a realistic goal for this team. Um, and probably doable. Um, 11, six, 12 and five sounds ambitious. 
on paper, but I think eleven and six is a good goal. Um, I, I don't know if you could. You're you're not going to beat the Niners. You're just not. It's it's a very hard ceiling that they run into. Uh, but if everything they did well last year continues, and uh, the, the like I mentioned earlier, the run defense and the pass rush. If if you improve those two things significantly, you. I'm not saying they have to be a top 10 pass rush or even going from you know, bad it, to decent is, is significant decent or just not terrible. Right. Just like be a, <laughs> yes. be a mediocre run defense. That would be a huge difference. It would be a big step up. And that, would, that probably gives you an extra win or two. Um, just like just being a mediocre run defense. That'd be perfectly fine with me. Um, if you can do that, I think 11 and six is a good goal for them. What would be so? Do you, do you see Geno Smith playing at the same level as he did last season? You know that that's the tough question. Like which which one are you going to get? Is it the Geno from weeks one to six who is freaking amazing, or just like the little bit more average? The more Geno Smith we saw earlier in his career with the Jets, that was in the second half of the season. I tend to lean towards he's going to be better. Uh, for a few reasons. First of all, bringing in Jack Smith and Jing, but it just it'll simplify the field for him. Maybe he won't feel the need to chuck it downfield so much or be so aggressive. He can just move the chains. He has the confidence, hopefully, in his receivers. Just okay, we're gonna get there. I don't need to get it all at once. Not that you want chunk plays, you need chunk plays, obviously, but it would help to have a little bit more of those intermediate, you know, uh, just move the chains type uh, catches. Um, I think he'll be more comfortable in his offense. It's only been a year like he had three games in 2021 than all of last season, but this is only, it's only going to be his fourth season in the league as a starter. He was a starter for two years. And then he was, he was on the bench for like seven or eight years. He played behind Tyrod Taylor. He played behind Eli Manning, all these other guys. And he wasn't on the field. Um, he's not getting the experience there, but also like he doesn't have the wear and tear on his body that like a 10 year quarterback would normally have. So I think that's an advantage too. Um, and like, third fourth year in the league that's when a lot of quarterbacks start to really put together and this is basically his fourth season of the start that we're going into um and he probably has a little bit more football iq going than the average fourth year starter because he's been around for so long um i think that's another reason why he'll be better so i tend to lean towards we'll get the good version of geno smith as opposed to the bad one but i i would not be shocked if we get the bad one it's just at a certain point, quarterback is what he is. If Geno Smith comes out this year and he throws like 15 interceptions, uh, you know, and that touchdown total dips a little bit, all of a sudden you have just an average starter as opposed to a top 10 starter. And that's a huge difference. That's a big step down. Um, so that's, I mean, it's a quarterback, but it's obviously going to be every team's X factor. But whether Geno Smith, uh, if he's able to dial back that aggression meter just a little bit, it doesn't have to, like you want an aggressive quarterback. You really, it drives me crazy. I don't want a Kirk Cousins guy who's just going to throw to the chains and keep his completion percentage up. I want someone who's aggressive, who's going to push the ball down the field. But there, there is a limit to it. You have to be able to rein it back at some point. And I think if he can do that, you're going to get a really, really good quarterback play this year. And what would be, barring injuries, what would be what you consider their floor what like what would be falling short of expectations would it be you know kind of like last season or even dipping just below that winning seven eight games and missing the postseason yeah i think missing the postseason would be a bummer um 
six i think six wins is the absolute basement i mean with injuries anything can happen they can be like uh the niners a few years ago they just got devastated and even though they had a very talented team they only won like four games um yeah i think six 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 wins is the absolute basement for the team but if the, if they're not going to get devastated by injuries um, you know, it's all those one possession games. In 2021, they lost a lot of those games. They lost in overtime to the Titans. They lost, uh, I think it was the Raiders last year. It was a game they should have won. Just like those little, those three-point games, which way those land. That's what it really comes down to. Because like everything, you're going to win some games, you're going to lose some games, but it's how you how you manage those one possession, those one score games that it really uh that factors in how your season is going to go. So, yeah, I think going seven and nine again would be a disappointment. Anything less than nine and eight, like you probably could have done better. Um, but it, it is still a young team. Like, yes, Geno Smith is not a new quarterback, and they have some older safeties. But the core of this team is young now. If you if this draft class is as good as advertised, you have two really good draft classes coming in. They're big draft classes too. So, I, I think looking ahead maybe two or three years you've got a really good base to build around if smith is able to keep going the way he does early in last season um but yeah it it should be good in theory they've got good starters at tackle both tackle spots both corner spots you got three great wide receivers you got i mean it's not analytically wise it's not great but like you've got a ton of money at safety and a ton of talent at safety you've got same thing at running back they're loaded at a bunch of spots uh, but none of it matters if you don't improve this run defense. That that front seven, they to their credit, they went out of the way like, okay, we know where our problem is. We need to go out to fix this front seven. Um, so the question is like, it's like Bill Walton say like, never mistake action for achievement. Like you clearly you you did the action. You've made a bunch of changes personnel wise, but now does it actually pay off for you? And looking at those two games against the Cardinals, how do how do fans likely view those? Are those expected wins, likely wins, or at worst case scenario, toss up games? I mean, I know better. They're probably expecting wins, but we can't beat Colt McCoy. So <laughs> <laughs> I would rather yeah. face Kyler Murray at this point. Like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. We can't beat Colt McCoy. So uh, yeah, but uh, like on paper, supposedly. Arizona has the worst roster in the league, right? They're they're 32 in most power rankings that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, you it helps to have a very talented quarterback, but you're not going to have him for what eight weeks, nine weeks. I don't know how long Murray's going to be out. Um, it's just, it, it's a bad roster, and in theory, see Seattle should beat them twice, but it's a division rivalry. It doesn't mean anything. Like a team's always going to play you tough. It just it doesn't seem to matter on paper. You know, I don't know how many years. Packers were just vastly better than the Bears, but they always played them tough. Um, you know, that's just the way that these things go, it seems. Yeah. And and with that, we come to the end of this edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Mr. Cardinals Talk on the Web. We will have more um, opponent preview shows in, in the days and weeks to come. I'm not sure where this is going to get released in. Uh, we've recorded several of them so far. But, Tim, thanks so much for your time. Uh, um, you can obviously find Tim's work at SeahawksWire.com. Where else can we find you, social media, what, what not, anything else that you do? I'm not on social media. I'm proudly social media free. It's getting worse all the time now. Flee while you can. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Seahawks Wire is where I'm at. I'm also doing some high school sports work as well for USA Today. If you want to check out USA Today 
high school sports. I'm doing some recruiting work there as well. A um, little bit of everything, baseball, basketball, uh, and obviously focusing on uh, football and recruiting there as well. All right. Thank you, Tim, for your time. That wraps this edition up. We'll be back again soon. Thank you for listening as always. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.